Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And, of course, they have Junior Bergen T-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. It's 4 o'clock. Welcome to Tutel and Nuanes, Montana's only statewide sports talk show. Broadcast on 102.9 ESPN Radio for Western Montana and across the state on SWX Television. I like football! Now, sports talk from Montana for Montana. Live from the Kurtz Polaris studio, here is Ryan Tutel and Coulter Nuanes. Hello, Montana. Our favorite players, NFC West edition. And how about two-time Montana Gatorade Player of the Year in boys basketball and future Utah State Aggie, Raleigh Wooster. He's going to be on the show as well. Hi, how are you? It's Tutel Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio. Outstanding to be with you here on this Tuesday afternoon. Hope you are having a wonderful day. Thanks for spending some time with us on your afternoon. Let us be on board with you wherever you are, on the radios, on the televisions, and on the internets. We appreciate it very much. Speaking of, 1029ESPN.com. You go there. You can listen live anytime you would like to. To the station 24 hours a day into this show for two hours each weekday afternoon. The stream brought to us as always by Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. The phone number 329-1899. All guests, when we have them join us via the Rankage Brothers RV phone line. Let's take a look at what we got in the show today. Our seventh out of eight divisions today, and it is, uh, well... It is getting to the headliners now for us here in the West and the Northwest and the teams that we kind of follow a little bit closer in the NFL. We've been going through picking our favorite player by NFL franchise, but doing it by division. And we worked our way through it today about the NFC West. That's right. Cardinals, Rams, 49ers, and the great and mighty Seattle Seahawks. Gracious mercy. 
whew, somebody to pick from. Actually, on all these teams, but one in particular. I got one, though, Coulter, that I think you're going to be very proud of me for picking. I can't wait. Okay, so we'll get to that. Uh, we also uh, are going to talk about a new uh, uh, recruit for Bobby Houck's Montana Grizzlies, Dylan Rollins, out of Missoula Sentinel, who is... Just a, just an offer here, but it's, it's an interesting situation because Dylan Rollins has got a lot of interest from around the... Not just Northwest, I guess, the Western United States. Yeah. I mean, he's a borderline Power 5 kid, so I think it's two conversations I want to have. First of all, the impact that the early signing day has on Montana recruits specifically, because I think a guy like Dylan Rollins, if he was to wait until February, mm-hmm. he would find himself with a Pac-12 offer, but I don't think he'll get one before the early signing period in December. But that might not matter because his dad played for the Cats. His brother currently plays for the Cats, but he's also a Missoula kid who's getting recruited by the Grizz. And sure. so I want to have that conversation as well. All, I think that a lot of the last 10 years, each side has sort of waved the white flag if there's a strong family connection like that. Okay, we're not going to recruit this guy. We're just going to let the other side have him. But Bobby Houck was famous and infamous during his first tenure for flipping former Bobcats, the sons of former Bobcats, into Grizzlies. Mm-hmm. Most notably, one of my good buddies, Ryan Bagley. His dad, Jim, was a great running back for the Cats, and Bobby flipped him. So we'll get into that dynamic as well because I do think it's interesting, you know, especially for a guy like Dylan Rollins, because he's got a lot of choices there, uh, both in-state and out-of-state, and Absolutely. strong ties on both sides. Uh, we also want to talk the NBA 25-day program. Now, you may have been hearing something about this, sort of rumors about this. We wanted to flesh this out a little bit. We haven't talked about it on this show yet, but it, it would be uh, uh, preparing, I guess, to get back to playing uh, real live NBA basketball games and what this process would look like. And, and for my money... It has been, of, of all the sports organizations that there are, professional, college, whatever it is, the NBA has been the leader in a lot of ways in terms of, of the directions that they have gone, the choices that they made, and certainly as it pertains to COVID-19, their reaction to it, they were the first domino to, to make it, I don't, I don't want to say to fall, but they, they made the choice to shut it down Period. I mean, they they closed, they kicked the tent pegs out of that circus while the circus was happening on one particular, I think it was a Thursday night, okay, or Wednesday even, uh, uh, back in March. And so, uh, you know, David Silver has been uh, on front and center, excuse me, Adam Silver has been front and center in all of this uh, um, in, a, in a lot of ways. And maybe he's the guy and they're the, the um, you know, league, the association that is willing and able to take the risk quote unquote the risk of of putting things in place to get back to sports in in some capacity and also they are the league that's got the least players right i mean you're talking about 13 guys and so the logistics i guess of actually putting people in a room together safely at least from a playing standpoint seems like that's that's maybe the one. Now, I would say... It's the least amount of people, period, right? Not just the guys on the roster. That's right. But in terms of facilitating a game, you need half as many officials as you do for a football game. You have ha- way less coaches. I mean, theoretically, you could actually get this done with a head coach and his team because, I mean, NBA assistants on game day, are not, are they're, not, they're not of that big a consequence. Right. Now, see, now, I mean, we can talk about this more at the time. I don't see anybody playing sports professionally unless... The, the 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 players involved uh, everybody involved frankly has been somehow cleared whether that's officially tested or what what that would mean I, I I don't know but I think you have to have that but I would say this 
of all the sports where the activity is such that a disease could spread, basketball right. is the one. Baseball is the one where you have, I mean, everybody's kind of in their own zone. You're plenty of space. Now, I realize, obviously, guys running bases and sure. doing all that kind of thing. There's contact and stuff like that. But from a from a from from an actual game standpoint, baseball is the sport that seems to be easily the, the quote-unquote safest in an environment like this. But again, you have to... You're not playing anything until until the people that are participating it in it have been have been medically cleared to do so in in some way. Whether it's a Rudy Gobert who, you know, was sick and now isn't, and so has you know the antibody. Uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know. So anyway, but we'll get into that. Top of the hour. Looking forward to this. Raleigh Wooster. He's the two-time Montana Gatorade Player of the Year. High school boys basketball. Obviously a great a football player as well for the Hellgate Knights. Uh, won uh, a state championship. They're co-state champions in uh, Class AA this year, and he's going to Utah State, to Logan, Utah, to play college basketball in the Mountain West. Uh, so we got to catch up with him earlier today and talk about that process and everything and an early uh, a, a commit to the University of Montana when he was, you know, maybe after his freshman year of high school, coming into a sophomore season, and so, yep. uh, but but very very early on, and then as more exposure was had, more and more offers came through, and and uh, he elected to decommit from Montana, and then chose to go to Utah State, and we kind of talked to him about that whole process. I, I mean, first, first to really my knowledge, one. first first to my knowledge of him actually going on the record and talking about it. Mm-hmm. It's nothing crazy controversial. It's, I mean, the kid just no. made a decision for himself, but he hasn't really been – he's been interviewed about his his playing career, but not really much about his recruitment since that all went down because well, he was it, out of season when that was all happening. So right. I, th- I found that part really interesting. So we'll get to him, and we, we certainly appreciate him uh, talking to us. We'll also talk about some transfers uh, at Idaho State and specifically what happens when you know a coach that is pretty well-liked is fired fairly unceremoniously – and then the exodus begins. And so it's uh, it's immediate rebuild mode for Idaho State and men's basketball. So we'll get into uh, all that. So there you go. That's that that in itself is the most fascinating thing to me is that there used to be such the argument, hey, we can't judge a coach until he's been at a place for three and sometimes four years. We need to let the recruiting cycles play out. I never in my life thought we'd get to a point in our careers where a roster can straight up be remade as fast as it can can be like right now Austin Smelly who's an in-state Idaho kid is the only player left on Idaho State that Bill Evans recruited Ryan Looney's only coached one year yeah this is only been one year at Idaho State for Ryan Looney the whole thing is already remade it's like Bobby Houck he in two years he turned over 75 of his of his 110 roster spots and by the way Idaho State they did, for what it's worth, win their game in the Big Sky Conference. <laughs> no doubt. You know? so, no doubt. We'll get into that, too, because I think that the the phenomenon of in-conference grad transfers, too, I mean, the fact that now with Ballant Moxon going to be playing at Weber State, that's two different guys from Idaho State that are playing in the conference for different schools. That in itself I never thought I'd see happen either. Yeah. Not, uh, not just playing, but being able to transfer and play right away. Obviously, it's a graduate transfer deal, but yeah. uh, other transfer news, too. we got three more Montana State Bobcats into the portal. Uh, and so we'll talk about that in the second hour as well. Okay. Uh, Colter, let's jump into it. We uh, have spent the first segment in the last uh, six shows now discussing our favorite players of all time in the NFL. You have an anxiety this is about to be over? No. Oh, I am. Really? Did you know that when I watch sporting events live, I sit there and think about how sad I'm going to be when it's over every single time? No. <laughs> <laughs> That, State of my life, I suppose. I, you know what my problem is, is that my the 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 great glory of all my sporting 
interest is the anticipation of it. Hmm. And then when it arrives, like it's super fun, but it's it's usually more about the excitement of the of the lead up than anything else for me because often the payoff isn't quite there the way you'd like it to be. But in any case, must be nice to be a radio guy. Yeah, it is. It's great. Uh, Coulter, let's start. What now? What do you? Who do you want to? You don't. Let's not start with the Seahawks. Let's finish with the Seahawks. Yeah, we'll start with the Rams. Okay, start with the. Oh, okay, we'll start with <laughs> it's the actually Rams. So funny because like I. You know, I've had all these revelations of the, my affinity for certain teams that maybe I didn't ever pin myself as being having an affinity for, and I think I finally am ready to admit it. You like the Rams? I hate the Seahawks. Oh, okay. I think the Seahawks are actually my least favorite team in the entire NFC. Uh, oh, I could only think of one guy I actually even like that played for the Seahawks. No, no, no. Which is crazy. That's, that's I never actually acknowledged that until we were making this list. That's absurd. Um let me tell you something. Let's start with the Rams. This is the one where you're going to be most proud of me on. Now, who did you? Uh, now, if it's not Aaron Donald, I'm going to be uh, aghast. Uh, this is actually my, I think, my first skill position player on what? the whole list. Is it Marshall? Eric Dickerson. Okay, Ed, that's good. Yeah, there's only a couple players. My family's not was not being a TV. My dad was not really. My dad became a sports fan because of my brother and I becoming sports fans when we were kids. And he certainly like followed some sports. And like when he was living in Colorado, working in the mines, he followed the Broncos. And, yeah. You know, as an adult, he liked basketball, so he always followed Michael Jordan, followed Utah Jazz. But he didn't go. He didn't play sports in high school. He went to a private high school that didn't have sports, so there yeah. was no. He had no real background in any of that. So I was not really inundated in in. Uh, Sports as a really young kid, except for fighting, we used to always order the boxing matches for sure. Yeah, those were always on in the house. But we did have a couple like old NFL films, and so I can't profess to have watched a ton of the stars of the '80s. But I do remember we had films about Walter Payton, Eric Dickerson, and Lawrence Taylor, and those guys have resonated then with me ever since then. But then Eric Dickerson came full circle because then I think that probably my, you know, people talk about the 30 for 30s. There's actually been, I think, 90 films made th- under that umbrella. Mm-hmm. But the original 30 for 30 was the 30th anniversary of ESPN, and they had 30 filmmakers make 30 films. Right. My favorite of the original 30 films was The Pony Excess, the the one about SMU getting the mm. death penalty when Eric Dickerson played. Well, then this comes all the way full circle because I thought that was tremendous journalism and I loved it. I had remembered watching Eric Dickerson on the NFL film stuff with my dad. And then it it comes fully full circle when Eric Dickerson was the guest speaker of the Triangle Classic, the Montana State football fundraiser in Great Falls. This must have been circa 2012 or 2013. So I got to have a 30-minute sit-down with Eric Dickerson. Most of those guys that do that, you know, because the the Bobcat Club up there, they pay for a a big-time speaker to come in. So I've got a chance to meet... Rod Woodson, Thurman Thomas, Jim Kelly, Mike Ditka, uh, Joe Theismann. It's been awesome. And uh, th- those are most of the most famous people I've ever gotten a chance to interview in yeah. my career. Most of those guys, when the banquet's over, they're out. They just they're they, you know, done. They, they came with they, they were there back to, to do. the hotel yep, yep. and that's all good. Well, Eric Dickerson, he was all about it. He was like, I want to go out in Great Falls, Montana. You guys want to go out? Yeah. It's like, well, hell yeah, I want to go out. With Eric Dickerson, <laughs> Great Falls, Montana. So. So we took Eric Dickerson to the Sip and Dip. Of course. Had I mean, they're, that's, had him you, watching. To, you mean to the place in Great Falls, The place, right. right. Yeah. And he's, he's sitting there. He's watching Piano Pat bang on the keys. Yep. He's got mermaids swimming in the pool. <laughs> he's like, where? It's the greatest place I've ever been. What are we doing? He's like, how much of the beers? Let's go. Yeah. And so that, was, that made it come full circle because he couldn't have been a nicer guy. I mean, he's obviously a gigantic star. Yeah. 
but he, he was so cool. He was so yeah. down to earth. He wanted to know all about Big Sky Conference football, the Cats and the Grizz rivalry. He was all about it. He was a really, really cool guy. I thought he was really engaging with the players that weekend, too. So that, you know, even though I already knew he was the the modern-day galloping ghost, I mean, one of the great running backs the league has ever seen. Uh, then to, to meet him in real life, it really just put a stamp well, on Well, and that's a great story and a great reason for him to be your favorite Ram of all time, and and uh, and that's fantastic. My favorite Ram of all time, I never saw play, uh, but in what I know of him and who he was as a player, and also in the since-his-playing-days interviews on NFL films, different things you know along those lines, I have something that is close to love for this man, and that is Deacon Jones. Yes. Deacon Jones is, uh, is I, I mean, probably my favorite football player that I never got to see play football. Not only is he, now people will know broadly or football fans that he's the reason that there is a stat called a sack, but right. what you might not know is that he is, in fact, the person who named it a sack. Okay, which you could get. I mean, you know, he's like, well, because we're bagging the quarterbacks. That's what we're doing. But this man was uh, as ferocious as it gets when you learn, you know, your history about, you know, the NFL and everything. I mean, you invented the head slap, right? That's right. Was that made illegal because of him? Lots of things. Making guys bleed out of their ear. And 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 but the other thing, too, is, I mean, to actually, you know, to have a. To have what is now the most ob- one of the most obvious defensive stats there all- there is. I mean, it probably is the central defensive stat. Maybe that in interceptions. Sure, you know, certainly. Uh, because of this guy, you know, speaks to that. He also, you know, was uh, he was like the third in uh, taken in like the thirteenth round. They were talking about how you know it's not like there's like film on guys and people are like, well, who's we're recruiting running backs and this defense events faster than the running backs were recruiting. Oh, that's Deacon Jones. Well, maybe we should see if he can play. Turns out he can. He teams up with Merlin Olson uh, on the Rams and they have one of the great defensive lines of all time back in the 70s. So I am, uh, you know, a big Deacon Jones fan and and obviously Aaron Donald, you know, is right there as well in the in the new modern era of football. I mean, he's he's the best that there is. So I go Deacon Jones for the Rams. That's very good. One more point on Eric Dickerson. I guess a question for you. Yes. As you know, one of my favorite things about analyzing sports is analyzing greatness, gauging greatness. Mm-hmm. And we've had this ongoing conversation about what makes someone an all-time great? And oftentimes it's epic performance at any time. Like we talked about yesterday, Patrick Mahomes could never play football again, and he will be remembered with amazing reverence for the Kansas City Chiefs. But then there's also just the difference between longevity and just transcendence in a certain moment. And so my question for you is that where would you rank Eric Dickerson among the all-time greatest running backs? Well... I would, again, when I do rankings like this, I don't do one, two, three, four, five. I do tiers. Sure. He's in the second tier of Who's, the all-time greats. You think so? Because yeah. I think that he, I would argue that he is one of the three greatest running backs of all time. And I think that there, what I, what I, why, why I would say that is that Eric Dickerson's career fell off a cliff for two reasons. First of all, he was one of the first big stars to really hold out. He did. It decimated his career. He basically got chased out of St. Louis, went to Indianapolis. He had one big year in Indianapolis, and then it was just over. I mean, his last four years in the league, he never rushed for more than 720 yards. That's after having 
five 1,600-plus-yard seasons, including the all-time NFL record for yards in a season. Mm-hmm. So I guess my argument would be that when Eric Dickerson was at his best, his first five years in the league were the best first five years in the league by any running back ever. That's I think that's not even a question. Okay. I mean, he went... He rushed for 1,880 yards and 18 touchdowns as a rookie and then followed it up by shattering the all-time rushing record. 2,105 yards and 14 touchdowns. That That's is a, a lot. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and then he followed that up with 18-21 and 11. Yeah. But he had 400-plus carries, and so then when the holdout and the injuries came, it was all over. So, I mean, 13,259 yards, 90 touchdowns. The numbers are great. They, I think they, they, they say they put a bit kind of in the second tier, like you're saying. But I, I just think... I guess what I'm arguing is that I would take, I think the only two running backs I would take on their best day over Eric Dickerson on his best day are Adrian Peterson and Barry Sanders. But again, I mean, saying the best day as opposed to who's the best in terms of right. what they are, I mean, those are those are so, two different conversations. I mean, this is True. the old Tiger Jack situ- conversation, no right? No doubt. So, yeah, but I mean... I just think that Eric Dickerson gets, he gets misremembered a lot because he did fall off yeah. so starkly. I mean, he was he was the best offensive player in the NFL in the late 80s, but then he was just nothing in the 90s, right. and I think that that just killed him, you know? He didn't have that Walter Payton longevity. He right. didn't have that Emmett Smith longevity. So, I don't know, it's just an interesting question. Okay, let's... Uh, Let's move on to the Cardinals. Okay, uh, my favorite Cardinal of all time is is the most anticlimactic pick, but I don't know another way to go. It's Larry. Larry Fitzgerald is my favorite Cardinal of all time. He comes in the league in 2004. I think he was the third overall pick. I didn't realize that out of Pittsburgh. I'd forgotten that he was that high in the draft. It's it's so I remember that. I it's mean, so, he was so rare good in college. But I mean, it, he's so good always. But, but it's so rare, right? That that a guy who is you know a top five draft pick. Just, you know, when you're drafting a guy number one, number two overall, like, I don't know if you'd say the expectation is Hall of Fame, but the potential you're believing is that this is going to be cornerstone of the franchise type of player for a decade. But it doesn't happen that often. It just doesn't. And Larry, not only has it happened, it's, it's better than you could ever even have imagined. Uh, and so... Uh, and also just the guy he is. I mean, when you talk about the work ethic, the the community work, all you just everything, just as, as gracious a guy. For you know, again, from the outside looking in and seeing the, the way he carries himself, yep. conducts himself, because he's and, raised by a sports writer, and, right? But also the way that other players relate to him. I mean, you talk about deference and respect in a sport where you're always demanding respect for yourself, but reticent to give it. Larry Fitzgerald has more respect in the NFL than about anybody that I know, and that may be the the crowning achievement of a, of a player to me in, in that respect. So Larry Fitzgerald, there's some guys that I love from the Cardinals. I mean, Pat P is great, and Quan Bolden is on that list for me. Kurt Warner, of course. I mean, Kurt, how you do better than Kurt Warner, but it's it's Larry Fitzgerald. I love me from Larry Fitzgerald too, for sure. Um, my favorite Cardinal. This is probably my most random favorite player of anybody any okay. franchise that we picked. Darnell yeah. Dockett is my favorite mm. Arizona Cardinal. Okay, I don't know why. I just love Darnell Dockett. <laughs> I just thought he was just so sweet. He is sweet. I mean, he's a great player. He of had course. a great career. I, th- I don't think there's any like sort of crazy transcendence like we're talking about some of these other guys. I don't think Darnell Dockett's a Hall of Famer by any means. He had a good career. I think he's a really good player. And I just always loved how he's one of the first guys I could remember that had the true big D tackle build with like the light feet. Yeah. Yeah. He's winning with power and, and, uh, 
speed, quickness. I, I just always I loved him in video games, and I loved him on the Cardinals. I just thought he was great. San Francisco, the 49ers. Now, they're, now, we talked about Pittsburgh having just a lineage of just dudes who are just just amazing. Certainly, the San Francisco 49ers are in that conversation. I mean, when you talk is there, about... Is there a franchise, though? Because it's interesting that so many of the Pittsburgh guys from the 70s through now yeah. had similar uh, personas. Or, or that the, 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 the culture was defined by similar things. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting because the 49ers of the 80s and 90s were completely defined by their offense absolutely well yeah they had good defensive players they did but but i mean the west coast offense joe montana you know bill walsh george seaford i mean these guys they changed the entire game i mean the nfl this quarterback explosion everybody throwing the ball over the place that's the 49ers they invented this thing yeah and then this decade all of their success has hinged upon their defense right and they've reinvented it twice i mean because the harbaugh teams were were all defense even though Mm -hmm. kaepernick had this moment in time and now this team is all defense too. Well, I mean, who's their general manager? You know, right? I mean, when you talk, when you, when you got John Lynch running the show, you're probably going to try and load it up on the defensive side. Ironically, with what you said, and I agree with you, from Roger Craig to to, to, to Jerry to Steve to Joe, all it's all about the Montana and, and Bill Walsh too. My favorite player of all time for the San Francisco 49ers is a defensive player from that era, Ronnie Lott. I love Ronnie Lott. Ronnie Lott is one of the first. Guys that I remember, you know, in my history as as a football fan, as a as a kid, going, well, this is this. I mean, and it, 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 look, man, back in the day, okay, it's not as much now, but it's who hits the hardest, who makes the biggest explosion when they come across the middle, and you know, blindside somebody and all that stuff. Well, Ronnie Lott is in that conversation, uh, not just for the toughness and everybody knows about the finger, you know, amputation, all that kind of thing, but, but just the way that he played was so, you know, emphatic. He was taken eighth overall in 1981 out of USC. He was a multi-time All-American for the Trojans. He finished second in Rookie of the Year voting in 1981 to Lawrence Taylor. Pretty good. So... You know, these things happen. One won the Super Bowl, by the way, as a rookie, uh, or was you know on the Super Bowl winning team as a rookie. He had three interceptions, I think, his rookie season. So he exploded into the NFL, and from day one was a great player. And until the day that he retired and is in a you know Hall of Famer, but I, I, Ronnie Watt is the guy where I went, whoa, let's let's go for some. You know, it's that that visceral sort of attraction that there is to that kind of player and that that type of sport. I mean, you know the pinky story, right? Yeah, that's what I just said. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody knows about the pinky story. Yeah, sure. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Okay, so I think that's a good one. Uh, My favorite 49er of all time, Patrick Willis. Hard to to beat. And I think that Patrick Willis has – I think that Patrick Willis has – I think he has the most unique reputation of any inside linebacker in the NFL because Patrick Willis was the best inside linebacker in the NFL from the day he first – stepped on an NFL field to the last day. And part of that's because he retired when he was 28 years old. As great as Junior Seau was, we had to see him fade. And he he left the franchise where he made his name, and he played for multiple different teams. teams. Mm -hmm. We we watched Mike Singletary lose multiple steps towards the end of his career at the Bears. Ray Lewis. The Ray Lewis that won his last Super Bowl was nowhere close to the Ray Lewis that won his first Super Bowl. Patrick Lewis was a first-team All-Pro. 
for the, the the duration of his career. And I think that there's really no player you could find any position that yeah. really had that. Well, Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman together, well, good luck. Them. Good Lo- luck. Love that team. Yeah. I mean, if they just could have kept Alden Smith from freaking out every three months. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean that core was unbelievable, and uh, I mean what a what a crazy thing to have that core have it completely disintegrate because of Navarro Bowman's knee injury and Patrick Willis retiring and Alden Smith just going straight off the yeah. rails all the time. Though he's back, is he back now? Yeah. Guess where? I think I think it's the Raiders. I think, I think it's the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, Man, it is it is so amazing how many how many extra chances you get if if you could play football, man. Yeah, it also matters the type of missteps that you make. His are as about as crazy and egregious as you get. I mean, yeah. intoxicated driving 130 miles per hour at 4 a.m. I don't really know. I, I, you just you don't really spin that any other way than exactly what it is. There's no there's no spin. No spin. Not good. Um, okay, but I I. Uh, no, it's amazing though that they've been able to redo the revamp this whole thing because I mean those Harbaugh NFC contenders. It's hard to remake a team like that mm-hmm. in a short amount of time. I mean, mm-hmm. it took what, about five years, and then they were back in the saddle with all new faces mm-hmm. and equally as ferocious. Sutel Nuanas, one hundred two nine ESPN Radio. We're up against it, Coulter. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. We'll do the Seahawks on the other side, okay? And we'll get to that and uh, and everything else. Who's the greatest Seahawk of all time? The most memorable Seahawk of all time and our favorite Seahawk of all time. Coulter, I guess, is going to have a hard time coming up with somebody, but I'll try and help him along. It's time for me to convert you right after this. At Blackfoot, we're experts at keeping businesses connected to customers and communities. During this time, we want to help share our expertise with your business. From advising on remote workforce systems to assessing internet connections, we're here to help deploy the solution you need to continue supporting your customers. How can we help your business? Call 866-541-5000 or visit goblackfoot.com slash remote workforce to learn more. Our favorite Seahawks of all time. There are many to choose from. I'm going to help you out here, Coulter. Stu telling the one is 1029 ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television. Hi. Great to be with you across the state. Thanks for being with us. If you're uh, hanging out on Twitter, at Gus Tutel, at 1029 ESPN, and at Skyline Sports MT, uh, there on the, uh, what do they call that thing? Social media? Social meds. Right. Uh, we're there. We're, uh, you know. Having a, having an enjoyable experience, so come join us, and we'll uh, we'll do that together. All right, Coulter, we uh, we didn't make it to the Seattle Seahawks, and I want to spend some time on the Seahawks uh, here because I love the Seattle Seahawks. You have come to the conclusion that you do not think uh, you are uh, your 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 grounding for this is rickety at best. But let's go. It's through. not at all though. What do I hate more than anything? What or I guess what do I not uh, abide by or succumb to? Man, rationale. Trendy behavior. Okay. So when you grow up in Missoula, Montana, 
Who do all the kids decide they like when you're my age? Gonzaga, Boise State, and the Seahawks. Yeah, it's actually a fair point. Not into it. I, I don't want to be on the wh- bandwagon. When I moved to Seattle, I was the biggest Seahawks hater that there was, and I just stuck it to all of my friends who right. were just the diehards, and I had a great time. And then at some point, I was tired of swim- swimming upstream. And when I – after school, but when I was, in fact, just living in the city, it's like, right. okay, you know, I want to get on board and, like, you know, be part of the thing that's going on. They were terrible, by the way. This was – it was the last year of Mike Holmgren's tenure. I think they were 4-12. and 12. And then the next year was the one and only year of Jim Mora Jr., who I think they were 4-12 and 12 again. I don't even know if he made it through the whole year. He did. He? he got through the year. And then Pete Carroll came in. And in the he and John Snyder, right, in the first two years that they were there, like the first offseason, a season, and then the next offseason, had like double the number of player transactions of any other franchise in the, in the league. I mean, they completely... Over, I mean, everybody got cut, and they just started all over again. And they have been good to great to above average since then. And it's been wavering a little bit, but it's been wavering between 9 and 13 wins, not between 4 and 8 wins like it had for so long. Though, of course, you have to give the Walrus all the love in the world if you're a Seahawks fan because they did get to a Super Bowl with uh, you know Matt Hasselbeck and, the, and that crew under Mike Holmgren. Now, the greatest Seahawk of all time – if you were to talk to Seahawk fans, would be in great debate. I think for anybody looking at this objectively, though, it is not. It is Steve Largent. Steve Largent is the greatest Seahawk to ever play. The only other guys that would be in the conversation would be Walter Jones, yep. Cortez Kennedy, yep. and yes, I know, despite your distaste, Russell Wilson. I, I have no argument that Russell Wilson's the great. I think Russell Wilson's the greatest Seahawk ever. Yeah, I mean he. he and I think Russell Wilson's a phenomenal player. I just hate him. I understand. That's fine. But he is. Uh, he's. He's. He's in that conversation. And when he retires, he will be the greatest Seahawk of all time. For right now, it's still Steve Largent. Okay. Who's your who, who now? What? Let's start here. Why do you hate the Seahawks now? What, what you're looking through this list at all these great players? A couple of. Hall of Fame linemen, your boys up there running people over, road grading, doing the whole thing, and you don't like the Seahawks. I just, I've never really liked most of the things. You're going to hate this. You're going to think this is just sacrilegious to even say. I don't like Seattle. Yeah, that is. I don't. I just, I don't like it. I never have. It's my least favorite Western city. I don't, I don't like it. First I, of all, like, you hate cities in general. That's not true, though. I love Portland. I love small cities like Boise and Spokane. I like Sacramento. I mean, most people don't like Sacramento. I think Sacramento is light years ahead of Seattle. I hate the rain. I hate traffic. (laughs) And I hate having to navigate water while driving. And I can't tell you. stay on the road. That would be the best way. I can't tell you how many times I've missed the exit and just been an hour lost in Seattle. Now, and it's just the worst. Let me tell you something. The food as, in Seattle is great. As, the pretentious as, attitude as of your people friend, in Seattle are just is just it's tough. As your friend who's been with you driving on many occasions, <laughs> uh you driving in Seattle is it, like I'm I it it's it's like a verge of a heart attack for you. Yeah, I can see Absolutely. that. Not out of like not out of, of being afraid. No, out no, of no. Rage. Straight rage. rage. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. I can I can appreciate that. Yeah. Doesn't. Uh, it's also Seattle is also way more expensive than anywhere in the Northwest. Would you? Well, would of course you, it is. I mean, you, it's the only Northwest city other than Portland. Would you agree though that people that are from Seattle and or that love Seattle are more pretentious about? 
their obsession with Seattle and why Seattle's the greatest city in the world than any other place. Mm. They shove it down your throat. Yeah, I don't know. I think they should. It's, it's, a, it's a everything in Seattle is greater than every other thing that is on planet Earth. That's how all people I know that are from Seattle or live in Seattle act. You know what? I think there's a lot of people from our fair state who believe that, though I'm in agreement with Yeah, them. but that, the thing is, in Seattle, it's an opinion. In Montana, you're just right. <laughs> well, see, there you go. I mean, this feels very much like the pot telling the kettle black. Am I right here, Tommy? Coulter, the, the what I want to know is, would you rather live in Seattle for a month or go on one cruise. <laughs> you gotta pick one. <laughs> Look at the steam coming out man. of him, dude. Just man. even contemplating I, this. I don't know, man. I think I think I'd have to pick a cruise just because it would be over quicker. Oh man. <laughs> and I could just jump overboard if I really didn't like it. Oh, What's man. got you so mad today? I, nothing. Nothing at all. I, I just I just I've been going through the Seattle thing for so long because I just think that it's so overrated. It's it isn't okay. overrated though. It isn't overrated. It is the best city well in America. <laughs> major city. Yeah, it's the best major city. When I say city, I'm not talking about Spokane and Boise, by the way. That's not the scale we're talking I, about. I totally agree. But uh, in any case... Yeah, I guess I guess the point is that if you're going to live out... pretty great, too. It's, if you're going to live out west, I think you do it so you don't have to live in a city. Yeah, I mean, when you run into the ocean, that's what happens. I mean, that's like, you know, 90%, right, of the, of the, the, the American population lives on... The Atlanta, the Pacific, or the Gulf Coast. So that's that's it. If you stop in the middle, you know, that you you are looking for the social distancing in many ways. Nonetheless, Coulter, who's your favorite Seahawk of all time? Walter Jones. It is Walt. Big oh, yeah, Walt. Walter, okay. Walter Jones right. pushing his SUV in neutral up and down the Seattle Hills. <laughs> it's too good to be true. My favorite Seahawk of all time, and there's a lot of guys, and probably I should. I'm going to qualify this and say the guy that I like the most is Marshawn Lynch. I get such a complete kick out of Marshawn Lynch. He's he just he just does it for me as a person, like in the way that he is. But as a and as a player, certainly too. I mean, I love Marshawn Lynch. But my favorite player is Cam Chancellor. Cam Chancellor is my favorite Seahawk of all time because he's the guy. When I decided to switch and get on board with the Seattle Seahawks, was you know, just before that time, and then watching them play preseason, I was like, who's this guy that that I've never heard of before? Fifth-round pick out of Virginia Tech, Cam Chancellor. And his first-ever tackle was a forced fumble. He wrecked people all day long. First of all, on special teams, he was behind Jordan Babineau and a couple other guys as a safety. He was drafted, by the way, in the same class that Earl Thomas was drafted in, who I also love. And Earl Thomas was, the, I think, the 10th or 12th overall pick that year. He was their, their first pick, first-round pick. And then they went for a second safety, and it turns out they got two-thirds of and the entire uh, you know safety core of the Legion of Boom in that spot. Also, though, Cam Chancellor is like you know one of the most soft-spoken, sort of kind guys that you could be around. And, and I've had a chance to, to interview him on a couple of different occasions, and you wouldn't – like, he's – He's giant, right? He's 6'4", 230, whatever, 240, and running around as a safety, and he's got the visor, the black visor down, and you go, wow, what a monster. And then when he takes his helmet off, you're, you're, it's almost off-putting how uh, uh, it's, not even, it's not even kind. He certainly is that, but just how uh, at ease he sort of is as opposed to Earl Thomas, who is still just 
in tense out of 12 out of 10, no matter what's going on, whether he's at a bowling alley or in a locker room or taking a walk or playing safety. So I've always loved Cam Chancellor. By the way, a couple of moments, too. The hit that he made on Demarius Thomas in the Super Bowl when the Seahawks blew out the Denver Broncos was as trend-setting, as game-setting, uh, tone-setting a hit as I can remember in a single game, especially a game like that. I mean, there's been several, but that was one where it was like they're probably best offensive player outside, of course, Peyton Manning. And a big dude in his own right gets sent five yards in the exact opposite direction of where he's going on the the you know first completed pass from scrimmage. They already had the safety, and you go, oh, okay, so this is how it's going to go with the greatest – arguably the greatest offense, the most prolific offense in the history of the league in that Denver Broncos team. So uh, that was that was a big one, and I'm a big Cam Chancellor guy as a result of it. Get on board with the Seahawks, Colter. Uh, I, I Don't just, worry about the traffic. I mean, I'm with you with the traffic. The, I'm with you on this and your exit, and players, now you're an hour behind. All their players besides the linemen are all just so blah. <laughs> but they haven't had a sweet receiver ever besides Steve Largent. Are you... Are you kidding me? Like Doug Baldwin, I get the cultural relevance of him, but relevance, he, relevance excuse yes. me, but he he is just the next in the line of guys that just leave something to be desired. I don't know what it is that's missing. He's a sixth round draft pick who went overlooked by everybody and had the longest ball balls caught straight like non drops of anybody in the league for several seasons. He outplayed his 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 ceiling. More than just about anybody who's a Pro Bowl wide receiver. Yeah, he's all right. Oh. He's just not. He's not there. With, I mean, has he ever been a top ten guy in the league? Yes. No. Absolutely. No. We'll take a break. I will prove Colter wrong after <laughs> I come back down to earth. I feel like you driving in traffic right now, just straight <laughs> fury. Next. At Blackfoot, we're experts at keeping businesses connected to customers and communities. During this time, we want to help share our expertise with your business. From advising on remote workforce systems to assessing internet connections, we're here to help deploy the solution you need to continue supporting your customers. How can we help your business? Call 866-541-5000 or visit goblackfoot.com slash remote workforce to learn more. Sixteen, Doug Baldwin, eighth most receptions in the league, second best catch percentage in the league. Pro Bowler, All Pro, six round, six rounder. Has he ever caught ten touchdowns in a year? Let me tell you what he caught right here. Seven, yeah, in twenty sixteen. Yeah, very good. So that's my whole point. Okay. So because they're running the ball with I mean, one of the easy, greatest, it's, it's, greatest it's, it's a lot most easier aggressive the, running backs of all time. It's a lot easier to make the Pro Bowl when like six uh, guys that are better than you just decide to not go. Good, good. What are we listening to? What's the radio station? 
that the <laughs> listeners are listening to you two about to rip each other's heads off on. Uh, this show is called You Tell Nuanas. It's wrought with misinformation <laughs> and bad opinion. <laughs> Why don't you guys just fight? Let's just let's arm wrestle it out. Let's box it out. God, don't tempt me. Of all the things that I need in my life, it's that's just, probably top of the list. It's, it's, but not Ryan. I don't think like, I could fight Ryan. There's just so many guys that you could point. Like if you talk to me about Sean Alexander, I would be so on board with you. Like the number of t- like he has this one great year and then goes and like takes a knee to avoid getting hit over and over and over again. Okay, let like, me- that's fine. But Doug Baldwin is absolutely the wrong guy to hang your argument on on this. Doug Baldwin has never had more than 1,128 yards in a season. 1,128 yards of wide receiver is a pretty great season. It's, it's pretty great. But, yeah. But not transcendently good. Not all, not top 10 in the league ever. My here's the, here's the best way I could describe it. Doug Baldwin has never been rated more than an 89 in Madden. He's just an 89. He's really good. But he's not Randy Moss. He's not Larry Fitzgerald. He's not Aquan Bolden. He's not DeAndre Hopkins. He's not Julio Jones. That's he's right. not Antonio he's Brown. He's a sixth-round draft pick out of Stanford. That's right, what he is. Right, but he's also a system guy, and I, I, every player is a system guy, except for guys that make the system every themselves. Player. Except for guys that make the system themselves. No. Doug Doug Baldwin has never been better than most of his great peers. That's my only argument. Doug Baldwin again is very good. He's an eighty nine. He's an eighty nine. Unbelievable, just unbelievable. He has also only made two Pro Bowls and never been an All-Pro. Do you want to talk about the 25-day program? Uh, No, I'd rather talk about recruiting uh, across enemy lines. Okay, go ahead. Okay, Dylan Rollins is one of the top uh, prospects in the state, and we'll get get more into recruiting because I'm actually working on a project after hours here during my quarantine. Uh, But, I mean, as you guys know, at Skyline Sports, we cover recruiting pretty hard, but we've kind of shifted the way that we've covered recruiting from telling the stories of the guys that are getting recruited by Montana, Montana State, that eventually commit to Montana, Montana State, yep. rather than being the people that promote the recruiting element of it. When I first started covering recruiting, putting kids' Twitter films on huddle and evaluating in-state prospects and stuff like that, I thought it was uh, that was good because it was good for our business, but it was also, I thought, helpful for the kids. I don't think in the world we live in today, the kids need any help. They know how to promote themselves they, they very well and I, like do well. Too well, right. And, and I mean, there's not like some kids in – it's, it's very few and far between you're going to have a kid in Broadus or Columbus, Montana that just needs an adult to help him get his film into somebody's hands. Everybody knows all the kids now. What they need are – the coaches need help opening the file. That's what they need. <laughs> right. Well, but all these coaches now are like 15 years younger me. than us. So. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, these guys Don't are like 25. Uh, but regardless uh, – we are going to do some evaluations of some of the in-state kids. Yep. I think it'd be interesting for us during this exact time period. And uh, I will say this: I think the state of Montana, the I think there's about seven kids in the state of Montana this year that are better than what's come out of the state the last couple of years. I think Dylan Rollins at Sentinel is the best offensive line prospect I've seen coming out of the state. Honestly, probably since Mitch Brott. I think that he's. I think he's real deal. I think he's. I mean, he's six foot five, two hundred sixty five pounds, but he's lean. He's got good feet. He's got good hands. He can play guard and tackle. He's got a tremendous amount of upside. That's why you see him getting interest from uh, BYU, Utah State, Oregon State, Arizona State. But at the end of the day, he is the son of a former Bobcat, Josh Rollins, and he is the brother of a current Bobcat in Byron Rollins. 
And so he has strong ties on the Montana State side of things. Well, yesterday he picked up an offer from the University of Montana, and I think it's intriguing because I think that there's a lot of different things that are going to go into this young man's decision. Does he want to wait it out past the early signing period and maybe see if he can get one of those Power 5 schools to actually pull the trigger with an offer? Because right now he just has heavy interest. He does not have offers from the Power 5s or the FBS programs. He does have offers from the FCS programs in state. So that's a personal decision for him. But then also I know that you know as somebody that's played at Sentinel for several years, he's played with both Chad Germer's boys. So he's familiar with the Germer family on a no personal doubt. level. Uh, I think he likes Coach Germer a lot. As we know, Coach Germer is a tremendous offensive line coach at the University of Montana. But then on the other side, you have you know, one of the best offensive lines in the country at Montana State and a chance to join a program that, regardless of your family connections, runs the ball almost exclusively. Yeah. And that sounds pretty fun <laughs> as an offensive lineman. So it'll just be interesting to, to, to see how this all plays out. But I just wanted to have a little bit of a conversation about Bobby Houck and his recruiting strategies for, I, I think since Coach Houck left for UNLV in 2009, the next Grizz coaches and then Rob Ash and Jeff Choate at Montana State, at least early on, it was kind of a, we're going to see who the, who the kids are affiliated with. And if you have someone like, uh, say, a Jesse Sims, for example, okay, we're the Cats, we'll recruit him a little bit, but we're not going to put the full court press on this guy because he's from Stevensville. You know, he's going to school in Corvallis. His sister's playing for the Lady Grizz. The guy's probably signed still delivered as a Grizz. And I think that we've seen it on both sides. You know, guys that just have strong cat ties going to the Cats. But Coach Houck is refusing to wave the white flag, and I think it's also made Jeff Choate refuse to wave the white flag too. And so you've seen Houck recruiting Bozeman High School heavily. You've seen offers on both sides of the state from previously kids maybe you didn't think you could get. And so I think this is interesting because it just it made me think of when Coach Houck, he used to try to go get ex-Bobcat players' sons, and he successfully did it a couple of times. And he's even already done it here this year, too. I mean, Joe Gradney, Trevin Gradney's father, played at Montana State. Trevin Gradney for Billings right. West now plays for the Grizz. So it's happened before, and I just think it makes it even more intriguing, the in-state battles. Yeah, there's a couple things, too, that I think are worth bearing in mind. First of all, we talk about, well, did you get recruited? You know, who did, did, did Montana or did Montana State recruit this kid, recruit that kid? Well, guess what? Recruiting, the word recruiting, carries a very wide variety of, of sorts with it. Sure. There is, you know, a call or a text from, you know, a grad assistant to put a feeler out there, and then there's the home visit from the head coach and the right. position coach and multiple, you know, you know, everything that you could do laying out the red carpet for a kid. Right? right. And so when we talk about, well, did you get recruited or are they recruiting this guy? What we don't necessarily know is how are they recruiting him? And, and a lot of times I think I'm sure that there's times where the, the recruitment is somewhat token in relation to, uh, you know, the other school, if we're talking about Montana, Montana State. And we hear kids say this all the time, you know, really felt like they wanted me. You know, they, they talk about that. Well, what does that amount to? Well, it amounts to the amount of time and effort and contact that's put in. And the coaches know both who they want and also what their likelihood is. And I think there is, you know, a, a, a pretty sober assessment of, of how likely it is to get a guy. And then, and then you you know if you if you think you got a 20% chance at a kid who's you know looks like he's already on the on the route to another school but he's really good you still maybe 
put it in and see if you can get that to happen. So that's the first thing is, is how are kids being recruited because it varies widely. The other thing is how good is a kid? How good is he sure. as a player? And a guy like Dylan Rollins, you better recruit him. No matter who, you know, if you're Montana, you're Montana State, no matter what, where his father is, where his brother is, whatever, he's that type of player that could be, uh, you know, a Mountain West or even a Pac-12 type of guy, then then he better be getting attention from you, especially in the city that, you're, that your school is in. So I think the dynamic on it, like, I'll put it like this, if if a kid is sort of a marginal prospect, right? and has clear ties to the other place, and you go after him anyway, that's a lot more of a shot over the the bow, so to speak, or of going toe-to-toe for the sake of going toe-to-toe uh-huh. than it is about, you know, maybe you got a three-star offensive lineman in your own backyard. You, you'd be foolish, you know, not to go try and get him. So I think, you know, that is uh, 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 worth considering on this, and certain, certainly Dylan Rollins is a kid who, who warrants that sort of attention. I have a question. So, so I guess... T- if people are wondering a more recent example of this, like last year, we everybody always asked me who won the inside recruiting battle last year. There was only two kids that were really heavily recruited That's by right. both sides. Yeah. Like Carson Rossett, for example, was the Gatorade player of the year in Montana as a junior. He did not get recruited by the cats, right? The cats were not interested. It's not that if they were not interested, they just didn't think it was actually even worth the time. Right. Because they he, did the assessment and said, I mean, you know George, what? he's Jordy Tripp's cousin. Yeah. They thought that they had, you know, another quarterback in the in the boat in that Grady Robinson kid who actually ended up going to Western Kentucky. So quarterback's a different situation too. But like I mean, Tommy Mallott was really the only kid that was a true in state guy that really got full force, full court press by both sides. And but I think that that's what I'm getting at here is that this is gonna change. I think that both sides are going to start going after each other's guys, and I love it. I think it's great. Has there ever been brothers that have go, that have like that have gone to this different school at the same, relatively the same time, even if they're two years apart or whatever? Where they were, I mean, maybe they're not physically playing against each other on the field, but one kid is on the Montana roster and the other kid's on the Montana State roster. Mm, that's an interesting one. I will find out. That's a great we, question. We should find that out. I wonder if that's ever happened because if this was to, if Dylan Rollins went to the University of Montana, we would have that very scenario, right? So it would be, you know, an interesting deal. You see it all the time, right? The parents who have two kids on different teams and they wear the sewn together jersey or whatever it is. But you know, it's a little different when you're talking about Montana, Montana State. Our this is one. this is great. This is from Dylan Rollins' father, Casey okay. and Corey Robinson. They played on two. Actually, Corey Robinson was my first landlord when I first moved to, Is to that Bozeman. Right? Yeah, he's a Missoula guy playing for the Cats, and uh, Casey Robinson played here. So that was in the late '90s. So thank Casey you. and Casey and Corey Robinson. Casey there and Corey you go. Robinson. Thank you so appreciate much, Josh, for that. Crowdsourcing uh, a little bit of information. We appreciate that very much. Okay, hour number one in the books. Hour two straight ahead. A long discussion about why Doug Baldwin is a Hall of Famer. Next. Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia. When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org. 